the mechanical element that we're talking about here when we say you have a knee that doesn't bend. It's like, can I bend it visually? Yes. But we have to understand that what is the result of that position? What is the result of those mechanics? And where is this, the stress being applied? If I want to be able to distribute stress, to distribute stress, that requires the relative motions to be present to a sufficient degree. And then you don't have the interference. Anything beyond that, where I have a limitation in that relative motion, now you're starting to put stress on tissues. Welcome to Reconsider. I'm Bill Hartman. This is the podcast to challenge you to ask better questions, to look beyond traditional models of thinking and arrive at better health and fitness solutions. We haven't addressed the community or really any one of your followers in a while about what's been going on. We're not particularly good about advertising <laughs> recon. Um, it's done a pretty good job of advertising don't, for itself. Don't tell anybody. Apparently. Don't tell that's anybody. The to, that's the way to go. If you say don't tell anybody, then they start telling people. <laughs> yeah, they got a they got a secret. They want to help everyone. People, but we're seeing we're seeing results and we're we're seeing these these pretty significant results in people in literally a couple of weeks. So yeah, you know, that, that's that's true. a that's a that's a that's a pretty strong endorsement. It just it itself. it just involves you know some level of trust in a system and process that's a little different than what you might be accustomed right. to. Yeah. Everything, everything is expressed in this sense of urgency and, and the shortcuts and hacks and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, that if, 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 if those things actually did what they said they would do, they wouldn't be shortcuts or hacks. They would be the way to do it. Right. I yeah. mean, it would be the way and what people need to recognize the fact is that, that that's not not typically the, going to be the solution. There's going to be a process involved. And it's a, it's just a matter of having an understanding of of how people got to where they are. And if we understand that, then the, it's just a process. And I've talked about this a million times, just a process of reverse engineering how they got there in the first place. But you have to understand that first. And then you need people that are actually compliant and actually, you know, follow the instructions. And then that's what we're seeing is we're seeing people that are, you know, investing and uh, committing themselves to, to doing the work and then they get the good result. Well, into phase three of, you know, we have these for people that don't know that are interested in this thing and what it is. And we have these 12 week blocks of training basically which are all split into three sections of four weeks and there's progression to a program that's designed to get people back into training hard in the gym there's one that's designed to get people back to playing sports um you know field and court sports and there's one that's designed more on like the movement side of things so people that like having yoga practices or just want to be able to play with their grandchildren or kids and or garden and haven't really been able to like get up and down and around without some sort of setback in a very long time. Those are our three pathways that we have laid out and it's organized into archetypes, structural archetypes. So if you're on the narrower end, you would fit into this program. If you're on the wider end, you'd fit into this program. And it's been cool. It's been cool to see, like, we're going to, I want to talk a little bit about, have some testimonials here that we didn't, are not at all solicited. People post into the community about like the success that they're seeing, or they send you or I messages thanking mm -hmm. us. And it's cool. It's great stuff to see. And it's, you know, what we, yeah. 
what we both wanted to get out of this is being able to help people like that who, you know, maybe they can't, maybe they don't have the health insurance benefits or they don't have the ability to like always be seeing a physical therapist. So maybe they've seen a PT in the past, they've gotten a result with that, but they just have this nagging thing, right? It's not necessarily pain anymore, but it's always stopping them from getting to where they want to go. Yeah, they've had, they have an obstacle or they have interference, something that's in their way that, that prevents them from getting to where they want to go. So Yeah, and you've talked about it a lot. It's like you're training again every time you get back to step ups, the knee thing comes back. Every time you get back on the elliptical, the back thing comes back. So you, you've, you're doing the things that you think you need to do. You're building yourself back up to this place that you thought you're supposed to be and then one fateful day you just hit that wall again and you just feel like you're back to square one or even you know you've dug yourself a hole and you're beyond square one you're at square negative one now right yeah so we've we've got that phase three has been a progression to the other thing so in the beginning it was it was on the more general side lots of movement based stuff lots of really low intensity aerobic stuff and we've picked up the intensity we picked up the specificity so now we have the more traditional weightlifting activities, uh, squatting, for instance, um, pressing, landmine pressing, things like that, cable activities. We have we have running drills that are progressing people back to sprinting. We have different movements for change of direction, um, building up the ability to change direction, coming into and out of cuts. And then we have ground-based work, rolling and getting up off the ground and into and out of positions that would benefit anyone trying to have some type of movement practice. So that's kind of our three categories covered there. Um, how his body is responding, sleeping better from the movement stuff. And then the thing that I wanted to talk a bit about was not feeling as crunchy, not having the resistance um, in the, in the knee that you might normally have or sending type of pinching in the knee when you're changing levels in a movement like this, uh, have another person whose posture feels better. They've been able to use the elliptical again without having low back pain for a couple of years. Uh, we have someone who posted image of their bunions and their feet, which is actually a pretty cool change to be able to see. Uh, and yeah, this that was, was only that after pretty quick as well. Some yeah, of had, so they, they've, they've, I believe that they offered up that they've had the bunion since they were very young and, and, uh, they're showing it like right. a two week result, which is, yeah, two weeks, cool. you know, and then feeling the changes going up to the rest of the body too. So actually seeing a shape difference in your legs and hips and thorax and people, when they talk about like wanting to be able to get in shape or they want to like reduce what a certain area looks like or change what a certain area looks like many times the initial response might be like you can't do that but in some cases when it comes to changing the shape of the skeleton and shape change of the bones you can actually get a, the bony shape change by doing the the movements in an appropriate way quite a bit, quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, someone's someone's ability to be on an elliptical without back pain and someone's ability to bend their knee through a split squat and someone's ability to change the shape of their foot and the bend at their first big, uh, their first toe joint there, how that might all be sort of the same thing. Yeah. I mean, to, to a significant degree, it would be all the same thing. We have to understand that, that we're bipedal and that is actually very difficult to do. 
Um, it's a circus act if you get, if you if you break it down, um, because there's very few animals that can actually do it to as well as we do. And let's be honest, we're probably the best at it. Okay, because we're great. We're we're humans, right? Um, but in doing so, we we have to be able to manage our entire movement system above the ground. So we have this foot contact with the ground, and then we have to be able to manage our center of gravity, which is always moving. There are there are forces involved that are internal inside of mm -hmm. us. There are forces that are external, and then we respond in in some way, shape, or form that produces a result. And over time, there will be these default behaviors that, that evolve. And those are basically structural. There's a response to, we are constrained by our physical structure. There are only so many options that we have. And then there's only so many strategies that we could possibly produce within those constraints. And so people will be challenged to whatever degree it would be to manage their center of gravity standing on their feet. And this is why we see certain certain types of outcomes. And this is why we can consistently reproduce these outcomes, um, which are applied over time. And then the process is, okay, this is point B. Where was point A? This is why the structural influence that we that we drive people through the program is, is so important. Because if we know where their structure originated, if we know where they are, then the reverse engineering process becomes actually quite simple. Um, not simple in execution, it still requires effort, still requires the investment of time. Um, but as far as producing the, the uh, sequence of events, we kind of know where, the, where they need to go. And again, these people are, that, that are showing these great, great responses are, are following through exceptionally well. They're doing a great job. And you can't complain about that because we can write the best program in the whole world. But if you don't execute, nothing happens. And, right. and these people are taking responsibility for that, which is really, really cool to see. Yeah, it's the, the compliance and the the doing, putting in the work, right? So it's like just this constantly chipping away at this thing and probably having to do that for a very long period of time and in some form or another in perpetuity. Uh, um, yeah, it's, that's the one. There's always a comment that, that I get from folks. Um, when I'm working with them directly is do I need to do these forever? Maybe, yeah. but, but I would also come back with the fact that, you know, nobody ever asks you. So if I go to the gym to get really, really strong, how long do I need to work out until I'm strong enough that I don't need to work out anymore? Nobody ever asks that question because they understand it's like, Oh, this is something that you have to maintain over time. Some of these things that are allowing you to make the progress that is being demonstrated in the recon program need to be done forever because that's part of who you are. And for you to be able to maintain your ability to do certain things, then you need that influence because structurally you have an, another influence that's going to try to drive you in a very specific direction. Um, if, if your center of gravity gets pushed forward, it becomes more and more difficult for you to bend joints normally. And so we have to perform activities that allow you to control your center of gravity so you can continue to move comfortably. And, and that's, that's the foundation of this. And then that's just part of being human. This is one of those things that we, we just need to accept. It's like use it or lose it kind of a thing. Yeah. I mean, all, all things are going to tend to take or follow the path of least resistance. And when you impose stress onto a system and you have all of these other like, 
external factors that are forcing you either through sport or how you, you know, take care of your kids or the manual labor you do at your job. These are always going to end up pushing you towards certain strategies that we would call like end game strategies. So once the body doesn't have any sort of ability to compensate anymore, everything kind of just gets locked up and then you end up going to see Bill. (laughs) Wait, you Uh, literally start to exist in a very small space. It, it, it's yeah. like the, the, the way that the way that you could describe it is you're you're inside of a box that is your full size. And then over time, that box squeezes you in all directions. And eventually you're just going to be stuck inside of this tiny box and you're not going right. to be able to move outside of that. And that's when you start to feel really, really crappy. And so essentially what we're doing is we're just re-expanding the space in which you can move. I want to talk more about uh, joints that bend and... Uh-huh. I want to talk about restoring. So the the difference between like a split squat where you get down to the bottom of a split squat and come back up without a bend in the knee versus a mm-hmm. knee that is actually bending with relative motions. Correct. See, and and that that concept alone is just confounding. It's incredibly to, foreign to, to people. Right. Right. So. So what we have, we, so there are there are mechanical representations. <coughs> there are positions of. Let's just use the knee. The knee is very easy to, to see. There are positions of the knee um, that that are required for it to bend with relative movement, and and this in, this involves a rotation in the joint itself. And uh, for relative motion to occur, for instance, the 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 position of the knee to allow it to bend would be the femur would be turning into external rotation, the tibia would be turning into internal rotation, and that would allow the knee to bend with relative motions. And under those circumstances, in almost every case, unless there's something really unusual structurally, uh, that would be a knee that would bend comfortably. And if we're going to perform a split squat and be able to access the relative motions to a sufficient degree that it would be uh, non-restricted, non-painful, that's what would have to occur. I would have to have the ability to internally rotate the tibia relative to <clears throat> the externally rotating femur, everything's all fine and wonderful. Okay, now let's take an individual that uh, is experiencing default behaviors. They are unaware of it. It has to do with how their center of gravity is positioned in space. And they have a mechanical representation of the knee that opposes that opposes the relative movement that would be required for the knee to bend. Does that mean that you cannot bend the knee? Actually, it, it, it doesn't mean that you can't bend the knee visually, but you have the mechanical representation of the knee as to where it would be when it would be straight and or, and I hesitate to use this word because it's not a word that I would use, um, ex, uh, hyperextended. Okay. Um, that's how it'd be typically described or traditionally described. <clears throat> if I bend a knee under that circumstance, I don't have the mechanical element that would allow the relative motions to to occur and you would be bending against the mechanics, which means that the load on the connective tissues under that circumstance is magnified. That means that the position of the patella as you bend the knee is suboptimal relative to where it would be had I had the ideal mechanics to bend the knee. And so this is where we start to see situations of anterior knee pain, uh, patellofemoral pain. Uh, it might get 
pigeonholed into like, uh, uh, like an IT band problem close to the knee. Could be any number of, of, of undesired um, maladies and diagnoses. Um, but it, again, it's the mechanical element that we're talking about here when we say you have a knee that doesn't bend. It's like, can I bend it visually? Yes. But we have to understand that like, what is the result of that position? What is the result of those mechanics? And where is this, the stress being applied? If I want to be able to distribute stress, to distribute stress, that requires the relative motions to be present to a sufficient degree. And then you don't have the interference. Anything beyond that, where I have a limitation in that relative motion, now you're starting to put stress on tissues. Yeah. So I was going to ask you to try to like explain. So I have like a picture in my head of like a bag of water and air that's between two bones of like the, say the leg, the femur and the tibia, for instance. So I can either, I could, I can bend that joint in order to get someone to depth in a split squat and say like, what do you mean my knee's not bending? Look, but what you have to pay attention to is what's happening to that bag of fluid and air is where, where is that pressure shifting through the bag? If I have relative motions, I get a distributed shift of all of that pressure and, and uh-huh. fluid. Uh, uh-huh. and it, and it moves in, in different directions and it is uh-huh. spread out. If I don't have that, I just end up pinching the bag shoving everything in one direction. And if I do that with enough intensity or repetition, I can actually get the bag to break. So I can, yeah, get... that would be, that would, that would typically be in a, like a, a dynamic situation. Under, yeah. Under so like, say I, I have a knee that can't bend. I, I bend it. I, I make it look like a bend. I, someone tackles me from behind. Then I blow my medial meniscus out. Right. So, so that, that would be a medial meniscus injury or an MCL sprain or something to that yeah. effect. Because, because what, what you had was you had, you had a, a fluid compartment that was actually expanding at a very high rate under that circumstance. The other, the other sensation that, that folks might be familiar with um, that, that can't acquire the, the mechanics to, to bend the knee with relative motion. If you were to bend your knee, kind of grab your ankle and compress your heel towards your butt, and you feel a pressure behind the knee, and you'll feel it towards the 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 the, the backside of the knee towards the outside. So so it would be posterior lateral by by definition. You would feel a posterior lateral pressure behind the knee. That is someone that also can't acquire sufficient mechanics to, to bend the knee because what you're what you're trapping, you're actually trapping the synovial fluid in the knee joint in a space that it can't escape and you're compressing that and that's what you're feeling. And so that's another sign. And, and so people will, will feel these things. Like let's just say that you could assume a deep squat or you're, you're down on your knees and you sit back on your heels and you feel that same pressure. That means that that you're not able to uh, produce the knee mechanics that we're talking about that would protect you from such things. And this is where you get, this is where you get like a posterior horn injury and it like in a deep squat, like skiers will get, get like a, like a posterior horn um, injury. Um, if they're, if they're landing or they sit down too hard, like they, they basically secure their foot into the ground with a ski boot on a ski. And then the knee has to absorb all this, all this stress as they bend it, but they don't have the mechanical element to allow them to bend it. And so now they have this, 
this fluid shift in the knee that puts stress in certain places. It'll be anterior medial or medial, or it'll be that posterior lateral knee where they'll feel it. Right. Yeah. So it's not necessarily going to mean that that person is going to have a knee injury. They just are more likely given the circumstances. If something were to go wrong, if, if they like were if, to have it, this would be the mechanical representation that would produce that injury. Right. Yeah. If you, so if like, you have, if you have sufficient adaptability in the remainder of your, your movement system, your body. Okay. Yeah. If you and, have that, that's how you protect your, that's how you protect yourself from injuries is you can, you still have, options that will distribute stress away from things. But if I move you so far into, into a position, so far into a small space with, by shifting your center of gravity, those options progressively disappear. And then that's what will ultimately result in, in a, a, an injury when it does occur. But again, as long as you have some measure of adaptability, that's what protects you. But that's why it's so important. You know, when, when we're, when we're, we're taking through people through these the recon programs, the recon programs are designed to recapture those elements of relative motions that were creating the interference in the first place. And now we have a little bit of a runway. We now have some space to to move people through that we, we can start to move them towards the more intensive activities um, while they can protect themselves from the, the stressors. Yeah. So you're you're talking about like a movement adaptability, structural adaptability. There's like those aspects to it. I'm going to relate this back to like professional athletes here in a second, but there's also in the recon program, there's like a really graded exposure approach to aerobic development as well, where it's like kind of boring and long in the beginning. And then it's heart rate based and based on your maximal aerobic speeder, we do, we do comp, we do frequent testing within the program so that you can always determine what your maximal aerobic speed is. So that's the speed at which you can move and still stay in this aerobic zone, basically. Um, and that's going to allow you to be more adaptable from like an energy systems aerobic side of things, or we call that fitness if we wanted to. But a lot of like, when I'm thinking of, you see pro, you see pro athletes who don't really test well when it comes to normal measures or their feet are like club foot nightmares, like LeBron's. People are like, how can LeBron move so well? And how come he's never injured if his foot, he's got like a club foot. It's like, well, you know, this person has a tremendous amount of endurance. That's very, you know, related to their sport. They have tremendous level of exposure to all of the different forces that are required in the sport because they play all the time and have played all the time. Plus they have, you know, a genetic predisposition that allows them to manage the forces that are involved in their sport really well. Um, but the, those things, like we can train some of those things, like the fitness aspect of it and then the the movement aspect of it, which LeBron might not necessarily have, but we can use as like our our step up above someone like him who doesn't have that capacity to move as well. Correct. Well, that's, yeah, that's so what, that's, that's what of... training is, is determining, you know, what is necessary, what is available and what are the needs. And then we close those gaps with, with right. training to whatever, to whatever potential someone may have. Some people have, if there's 10 things that are required to be great at something and you're born with nine and you only need to train one, which might be the actual sport itself. It's like, congratulations. 
right? There's yeah. other people that might be born with two and they can work really, really hard and they can develop the other eight to a level where they can actually perform that sport really, really well. And then there's people that are born with four and then they have to develop six and they don't have the potential to develop those six. And so they never become that person. They become an accountant. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, they, they try to, they try to keep coming back to training and playing sports and they end up in the same place like we were talking about earlier so that right. they need a program like recon in order to help and the thing that the thing that we're trying to do with the recon is you know it's this sort of like art of it's like this art of being a generalist at first so we're trying to get we're trying to capture all of these lowest hanging fruits really so it's like if i did if i did need these eight things in order to be a good performer in my sport or to perform to a certain level what are the things that I can do that will have the largest carryover to if what, what are like the one things that I can do that might branch out and actually make me good at six other things. So like aerobic development is always going to be something that is just like an underlying, always. underlying scenario for all of these things. It's going to raise the floor or it's going to raise the ceiling and lower the floor of this, my general capacities to do everything that might be on that list. That's the, that is so. Can can I stop you for a second? Yeah, that is so under that is so underappreciated. It, it truly is because it, and it, it it doesn't seem like it's related to the ability to move well, but the reality is is the the more difficult it is to produce energy in large quantities. If I have to shift my my energy sources to what we would consider shorter term production. So there's, there's, there's a series of, of ways that we produce energy. Two hours later. Where was I? <laughs> we were talking about how aerobic endurance is fundamental and makes everything better. Right. So the, the, the ability to produce energy, energy aerobically is terribly efficient. So, so I, get a, I get a lot of energy per unit of, of contribution of, of the energy sources themselves. And, and that reduces the the amount of effort that's required for for everything. The minute I start to shift towards an, an energy system that we would consider a much more shorter term has has actually by, byproducts in in its production that reduce our ability to do things. So it creates a quicker fatigue. That also shifts the degree of effort upward, which means that we start to use. Um, larger motor units. So, so a motor unit is the, the amount of muscle fiber that you would use to perform an activity. So we would start to use larger motor units to do simple activities. That means we recruit more muscle. That means we recruit more muscle superficially. The more superficial muscle we use for simple tasks, the less range of motion we actually have. And so it starts, we get this, this, this cyclical thing of reduction of, of energy available increased effort reduction of energy available increased effort and the next thing you know you're you're living in this this fatigue state you've got a lot of muscle activity that you don't want that, that is now interfering with everything your ability to move your ability to be comfortable your ability to rest so the aerobic side of things from a movement perspective is underappreciated it's like increasing your physiological buffer zones so we're going to increase the ability that you have to move into and out to out of the largest ranges of motion available to your structure uh, that match with what your structure should be able to do based on 
you know, the helical angles and the shapes that you should be able to attain. Um, and then we increase the potential for energy production and utilization by doing the aerobic development stuff. And then we also, one of the other things that we're also doing, especially when it comes to like the sport program is we are learning how to put force down into the ground within the base of support at a high level of intensity that's also safe and repeatable to kind of work on that like repeat sprint ability that repeat high intensity ability which is like paramount for sport and really like has a tremendous level of carryover to everything else in life everything. too because yes we're talking about like you create a large potential you you lower the floor you raise the ceiling and then you want to be able to work within that bandwidth so I can move in a low intensity sense through my largest ranges of motion, but can I bring it in the high intensity sense without any type of failure to what I have built up as a potential in the lower stages of yeah. things? Yeah. So that requires a program that like we've made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't hurt yourself. Pat yourself on the back there, Paul. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just... But but it but it it is the rea it's the reality. It's, <coughs> that's one thing that, that is is always missing. It's it's one of the big challenges um, in in a, a rehab situation, especially is you know that's one of the it, it's it's a limiter on on the success. Um, the the intense the, the intensity piece or just everything I was saying. Everything it's like it's like having that having that foundation. What there are so many people that that will go through like a therapy um process and they'll be accidentally exposed like like the intention is not to increase their level of fitness but it happens like unintentionally like somebody say oh you have a you have a bum knee well let's put you on the bike and so we get a lot of range of motion through that knee and then, and then they develop like some low level degree of of fitness and that creates the the buffer against the, the default behavior of losing ranges of motion. That's not it, it's not the the movement of the knee through the excursion of, of pedaling a bike that that provides any significant improvement. It's the fact that you actually gained fitness and you didn't lose the motion to begin with. So, you know, if, if we can understand how each of these things influences the outcome, then we can we can measure that and give it the proportional uh, influence that that is necessary for the desired outcome. On the higher intensity side of things, it's I think a huge mistake of a lot of returns return to sport programs are just based on ranges of motion, manual muscle testing on a table, and then you're just cleared to run. And the the suggestion is okay. Well, you're going to jog a quarter mile first, and then you're going to jog a half a mile, and then you're going to jog a mile, and then you're going to run a half a mile. And it's just like not understanding that I can superimpose high intensity, short duration stuff very quickly in the rehab process, very soon in the rehab process. Because those, when you talk about like the components of force, the rate and the magnitude of the forces do not match up from a jog to a sprint. So if I have someone that's been running and they're like, oh, I ran, I can run five miles now and I'm, my knee feels fine, but they haven't sprinted and cut on the field yet. They're asking for a problem. Yeah, it's, it is right. I mean, not only the force production, but the energy demands. 
It's, it's the yeah. same thing we were just talking about. Is saying, like you're you're shifting into a situation where yeah. where you need to produce force very quickly, but you also need to produce energy very quickly under that circumstance, and and they are directly related. And if right, you can't, and the, if you the can't, shapes. If you can't produce the energy, you're not going to capture the positions that you need. Yeah, it's everything we've talked about already in like a really high intensity context because it's the the shapes of cutting and sprinting and jumping with maximal intensity are not the same shapes as jogging low low level jogging. No. They no. they aren't the same. So it's like your program needs to needs to approximate the shapes needed in order to resist forward motion and change direction. And then you have to be able to practice that in a safe, in a graded way, in a controlled environment when you're training to learn how to go into and out of a cut at a lower intensity first and then build that up. And then to just like learn how to strike the ground when you're running. Cause that, if you had a, if you had a running related injury, like many have that wasn't contact based, if you're not addressing the mechanics of running, or anything really. If you had, if you did, a, if you were cutting and you blew your knee out, if you went to plant and you popped your Achilles, if you're not addressing in that person's return to play how to do a false step and go forward, how to position their bodies in order to push off of the right part of their foot when they're cutting, then they're just going to end up in the same place. There's a reason why the number one predictor of future injury is past injury because a lot of people just end up going back to the strategies that failed them in the first place. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And th th those are the default strategies that we were talking about before. That would be <clears throat> idiosyncratic to your structure. Again, it all comes back to, it all comes back to the structural constraints. Ultimately, that's going to be the, the determining factor as to how you will do things. Reconsider is sponsored by Substance Nutrition. Go to substancenutrition.com, get your neuro coffee, better coffee, better brain, and synthesis, better protein, better body. Enter the coupon code RECON, R-E-C-O-N, and get free shipping on all of your orders.